1986, our high school had a daily video news program. Live from Blackford County High School, it's news today. And it was produced and run by my two friends, Kevin and Kevin. Yes, Kevin squared. We decided that it would be a good idea to make a video about life in high school in 1986. And that video opened with me, with me doing the Risky Business song, yes, in just an Oxford shirt and tidy whities The principal came to me Teachers came to me and said, Mark, we howled. We had never, and the reason is, that's not me. That's not my personality to do something like that. In fact, I hadn't even seen the movie Risky Business because I was busy listening to classical music in the public library. So they had to go to Blockbuster Video rent a copy <laughs> and show it to me. And so I learned the dance moves by <laughs> and playing it over and over again so that I could nail the opening of Risky Business. Dun, 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 dun. And yes, I came out to that. Have you ever done anything in your life that simply wasn't you? Have you ever done anything in your life that simply wasn't you? I have many times. In college, I took a professor whose talent was exposing the hypocrisy of liberal scholars. And so in his class, I thought, I'm going to take this exposing hypocrisy of liberal scholars. And I wrote about Mark Knoll and the hypocrisy of Mark Knoll. Uh, and I got a D minus on that paper and was told that I was so wrong about everything. And the irony is Mark Knoll later became my mentor and professor. He wasn't hypocritical at all. <laughs> apparently, apparently, uh, uh, exposing liberal hypocrisy isn't me. Okay, and then as a children's pastor, I subscribed, you're not gonna believe this, to Sports Illustrated for an entire year. On Sunday mornings, I would go around and, hey, hey, Josh, did you see the play the Bears made last week? Man, that was, and, and so after a few weeks of this, people began asking me, people began asking me, Max, do you have brain cancer? Are you okay? Like, <laughs> right? So, so keeping up with sports wasn't me. These days in the Chamber of Commerce, uh, if I say or do something, occasionally I'll get a response from someone who's just met me. Aren't you a pastor? And in that moment, I'm tempted to change who I am so that I fit what they think a pastor ought to be or what they expect a pastor ought to be. And here's my bottom line today. You've got to know yourself in order to know God. You've got to know yourself in order to know God. Augustine puts it this way in the Confessions. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. And Meister Eckhart, who is a, a Dominican in the 13th century, no one can know God, he warned his students. No one can know God who does not first know himself. Far too many people die 
far too many people die without knowing who they really are. Uh, they live out someone else's life or they live out someone else's expectations. And I've gotten a front row seat to this. Jenny had a friend named Branch Fields III. He's still around, Branch Fields III. His father was Branch Fields II. And Branch Fields II is a wonderful medical doctor. And Branch Fields II had plans for Branch Fields III that his son would become a medical doctor just like him. And so Branch Fields III went all the way through medical school before he mustered the courage to tell his dad, I want to sing after medical school. So today, Branch Fields III is an amazing operatic singer who has toured all over the world, but who can also perform an emergency tracheotomy on you if you should need it, okay, <laughs> right? When I was a younger pastor, I would make Jenny, I, would, I wouldn't give her a choice, I would make Jenny attend every single church event because I was worried what people might say or might think if Jenny wasn't there, right? Uh, I had a friend who was an amazing dancer. Oh my goodness, he was an amazing dancer. But he went to college and uh, uh, became an accountant because his dad felt that dancing was sissy stuff, okay? And to this day, he's a frustrated accountant. If you're younger than 25 years old and you're in the room today, you are still on this journey of discovering who you are and you're still trying things on and trying to figure out what's you and that's okay. I just want you today to recognize the danger of trying to live someone else's life. Know yourself that you may know God. And again, today's big idea is taken from Pete Scazzerzo's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You should buy a copy if this is resonating with you. Living out someone else's life is not a new problem. It's not just the subplot of the latest Marvel's, you know, adventure movie, Marvel adventure movie. It's not simply the subplot of the Harry Potter films. Living out someone else's life is recorded on the pages of scripture time and time again. King David, we're gonna jump ahead two chapters from where we were last week when we were looking into the life of King Saul and we're gonna look into the life of King David today and we're gonna look at something that happened to him when he was a young man and it's recorded in verses 26 and 47. I wanna read the passage so that you hear the whole thing and then we're gonna look at some parts of this story. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And the men gave David the same reply. Oh, there's a reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? What are those... What about those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride. I know about your deceit. You're just, you're just here because you want to see the battle. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. And David's question was reported to King Saul, who sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. 
Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. Oh, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. And I rescue that lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to this pagan Philistine, for he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, he'll rescue me from this Philistine. Finally, Saul consented. All right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. So Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things. I can't, I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm, I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. And then armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley toward the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in a contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. But David replied, you come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, today, the Lord will conquer you. So David has gone to this place where a battle, a, a standoff is taking place between the Philistines and the Israelites. And it's happening in the Valley of Elah. And the Philistines have this very tall champion who comes out every day, fee, fi, fo, fum, right? And does the challenge. And the Israelites hide. And so I want to draw some things out. And the first thing is from verse 28. Eliab's older brother, he was angry, the scripture tells us. Eliab thinks very little of his little brother. Come on, siblings, it can happen. <laughs> you see your little sister, your little brother, and you just don't see a whole lot in them. You don't see a lot of potential for them. David, by the way, was out tending sheep when the prophet Samuel came to town to anoint the next king of Israel. And the text clues me into the fact that the people of that town were wondering if that's why Samuel was in fact there because they trembled that word might get to Saul that the prophet Samuel had showed up. And where's David out tending sheep because his own father doesn't see it in him either, okay? His own father doesn't see it in him. But unlike Saul, David doesn't take those voices and internalize them. You don't see, oh, I'm just nobody on these pages. You don't see that coming out of David. David seems to understand that God can do big things through ordinary people. And then in verse 33, there's this interchange between Saul and David. And Saul basically echoes the sentiment of Eliab. Who are you to go out and face this Philistine? You're just a boy. He's a warrior. You can't do this. Of course, the irony is that Goliath, being however tall he was, who among the Israelites should have challenged Goliath? 
Saul, because Saul was head and shoulders taller than anyone else. What's Saul doing? Hiding, <laughs> just like everybody else. But David's had to rely upon God before, and God has come through. So David's faith in God is a little bit bigger than Saul's faith. Is David certain of the outcome? Maybe, maybe not. But David's faith is bigger. And so when David goes out and meets Goliath, Goliath says something very important. He cursed David by the names of his gods. There's something taking place here. Among, uh, among many of the ancient Near Eastern cultures of the day, uh, there was, uh, everybody had their god, and you would take your god with you. And so among the Philistines, they think they've got this battle because they're down in the valley of Elah. And the Israelite God, Yahweh, is the God of the hills. Well, we're not in the hills, we're in the valley. We're safe. And not only that, we've got Goliath. We have this thing in the bag. And so the author of this First uh, Samuel is wanting you to see that one of the bigger things that's going on in this battle is whose God is really God? Can Yahweh do stuff outside of the hills? Is God big enough to do something like that? Of course, David does something profound. David put on Saul's armor, but then took it off because he wasn't used to them. This is huge. I, I never saw this for years and years when I read this story. When I was 17 years old, if someone in authority, the President of the United States, had given me something to do something, I would no more have taken it off, right? Like, I would have assumed that's what you do, that's how you fight, and whether I win or lose, that's how it's going to be. David has the ability to know himself well enough to know, I'm not fighting this giant in this armor. This isn't me, right? And he sets it aside. And David knows, you know what I am? I'm a shepherd. So he goes to the stream and he gets five stones and on the first shot nails the guy in the middle of the forehead. David knows who he is. By the way, this is Jesus. Jesus knew who he was. I am the beloved son of my heavenly father. And so because Jesus' identity was so rooted and so secure, he was able to put up with the disappointment from his family. He's out of his mind. He was able to put up with the disappointment of the people that he grew up with. They were furious. He was able to put up with the disappointment of his closest friends. They all deserted him and ran. He was able to put up with the disappointment of the religious leaders of the day. He's a rabbi, but... What do they say of Jesus? Oh, this rabbi, he gets his power from demons. That's why he's able to do this stuff. Let me ask a question. Where in your life is it difficult for you to be your true self? Where in your life is it difficult for you to be your true self? To speak honestly, to say no to someone, or something and not have it eat you alive from the inside out. To not be afraid of what other people think of you or say of you. What might it look like for you to take off armor 
that you're wearing that just doesn't fit if we're honest? What would that look like for you? Let me bring this to some practical things, right? So how do you apply something like this? First and foremost, pay attention to your inner self in silence and in solitude. Distractions are the things that keep us from listening to our feelings, our dreams, our desires, and our dislikes, okay? Uh, For years, uh, I've taken a day, and this is how I do it. You can do it differently. It's gonna look differently for you. But for a long time, I've taken a day where I load up a boat and I go to a lake and I disappear into a cove. And there's several things that are happening in that day. One, I'm alone with my own thoughts in my head and my own feelings in my heart. The other thing that happens is I'm able to hear God with a little bit more clarity. Um, And things that Jenny has said to me, things that some of you have said to me are starting to kind of ring in my ears a little bit. And, and stuff is kind of coming to the surface. Um, I know people who do this by gardening and working the soil, right? I know pe- people who do this while they're making something. Uh, they're making a work of art or a 3D dimensional kind of thing. And in the process of doing that and working their hands, they're also working out some stuff that's on the inside. So what I would say to you is that you're gonna have to figure out what that looks like for you. Uh, One of my students this week, uh, we were around the table and we were talking about this and and I said, what did you do when you were a kid? And she goes, well, I just rode my bike everywhere. I'm like, you need to get a bike. You need to be bicycling all over Puerto Rico, (laughs) okay? Because I know there's roads, okay? So you need to to get a bicycle, okay? So you're gonna have to figure out what that looks like for you. But I'm just, so don't let the words solitude and silence let you, don't think of that as, well, I gotta put on a robe and do the whole P-A-Y-S-U Domini. Like, no, no, that's not what that means. It's what it meant in the 13th century, but we're in 2020, okay? (laughs) So silence and solitude is, is, is simply you being alone with yourself and God so that you can hear yourself and so that you can hear God because God often needs us to quiet ourselves in that way, to speak to us, okay? Why is this important, number one? Because everyone in your life loves you but has a plan for your life. You've got people in your life who are trying to fix you. They're trying to set you straight. They're trying to save you. They're trying to advise you and they're trying to turn you into the person that they want or they need. Okay, you gotta be alone to listen. The second thing is find some trusted companions. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is famous for his anti-Nazi efforts that he did, and he's famous for the call of discipleship. But I think Bonhoeffer's, if you were to pull him out of history and put him in a chair, I think he would say that the most important thing he did wasn't that stuff, but it was these little, he called them mini seminaries, these little communities that he put together where people were uh, doing life together and helping each other hear God's voice and be the human beings that God made them to be. See, Jesus shows us what it means to be fully human, right? He, he lives the kind of human life that God wants to live, us to live. And the only way to live it, by the way, Paul tells us is what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit in you that's helping transform you from the inside out because you, like me, come out of the womb and have all this stuff and we're broken, 
<laughs> we're broken and we need God to restore what's broken from the inside out, okay? So find some trusted companions. Ironically, I'm gonna say to you, you can't know yourself alone. You need other people to say things to you like, you know, you really come alive when, you know, you're so passionate about, have you noticed how passionate you are when you're talking about, you know, those are clues. They're telling you something, okay? So if you're younger, if you're say under the age of 18, I'm gonna say something that you're gonna go, okay, so I apologize. Your parents can help with this. Okay, I know, I know. Your parent, your parents can help with this. You wanna know why? Your parents know what it is to labor under someone else's expectations. They, they might have some expectations of you, but they also know you and they know how you're different from your brother or sister. They know how you're different and they know how you're uniquely you. And so they can articulate some of these things for you, okay? And then lastly, move out of your comfort zone. Um, move out of your comfort zone if you are unable to receive or give a compliment. This has been me for many years. I'm, I'm, I've worked, had to work really hard to, that was a really good message, man. Thank you, rather than disagree with you, right? So move out of your comfort zone if you cannot give or receive a compliment. Move out of your comfort zone if you are simply allergic to conflict. In other words, you avoid it, you change the subject. Uh, move out of your comfort zone if you are unable to ask for help. This building has one, one been a huge gift for us as a congregation. Uh, it was great. James came in this morning. He's like, where's this? Where's that? And I'm like, I have no clue. <laughs> I don't know where any of that stuff is, right? Because so many of you have helped and taken ownership and done whatever, right? I'm, I'm not doing everything, okay? So, and then lastly, move out of your comfort zone if you're unable to handle disagreeing with your spouse, with your friend, with your parent. You may not have all this figured out yet. And you know what? That's okay. I did not know that I was an outdoors person until I was in my 30s. I didn't know that. I, just, I had a friend push me and push me and push me. And then the first time I went out for a hike, I was like, I could have been a camp counselor. That's regret. That's different. <laughs> okay, but that was one of the thoughts I had. I could have, I could have been a camp counselor instead of a roofer. Okay, so, um, and then... I took the Myers-Briggs personality test in seminary. Seminary made you do this. You're not gonna believe this. It told me I was an extra, extrovert. <laughs> Those of you that know me well know what in the world. So personality assessments can get you wrong, right? It can happen. So for a good decade, I thought I was an extrovert. That's what the test told me. And it, again, it wasn't until about age 30 something, I was like, I think I've messed that test up. Like, I'm gonna take that again. And sure enough, it was like, I, <laughs> okay? So if you don't have everything figured out now, it's okay. I'm 51 and I'm still figuring things out, okay? Pete Scazzerzo shares at the end of uh, his particular chapter on knowing yourself, he shares the teaching of Bernard of Clairvaux. Bernard of Clairvaux is this kind of mystic guy who lived around 1090 AD. And he said, there are four degrees of love. There's loving ourselves for our own sake. I love me because I'm awesome. There's loving God for his gifts and blessings. 
oh God, you're so amazing because you've given me a car and a house and a job and you're just, oh, I love you, God. Loving God for himself alone. God, you're amazing and I love you. And then loving ourselves for the sake of God. And Bernard says that the highest degree of love is that we love ourselves as God loves us in the same degree, the same manner, and with the same love. Um, there's a wonderful little story that Tony Mello shares, okay? And I wanna share this story with you to close out today. It's about an eagle or a little eaglet, okay? A man found an eagle's nest and put in it uh, and put it in a nest of barn in the in the, in the nest of a barnyard hen. So, a man finds an eagle's egg and takes the egg and puts it into the nest of a hen. The eaglet hatched with the brood of chicks and grew up with them. All his life, the eagle did what the barnyard chicks did, thinking he was a barnyard chick. He scratched for earthworms and insects, and he clucked and cackled. <laughs> he would thrash his wings and fly even a few feet on occasion into the air. Years passed and the eagle grew very old. And one day he saw a magnificent bird above him in the cloudless sky. It glided with grace and majesty. And it was among, uh, among the powerful wind currents. And with, uh, with scarcely a beat of its golden, strong golden wings, it ascended even higher. The eagle looked up in awe. Who's that? he said. Well, that's the eagle, the king of the birds, said his neighbor. He belongs to the sky. We, we belong to the earth. We're chickens. So the eagle lived and died a chicken, for that's what he thought he was. Gang, is there an area of your life where you might be living as a chicken, even though God has made you an eagle? And what if, what if, in 2020, what if 2020 was the year you learned to fly? <laughs>